0: Welcome to Utabia, Stephen Chicken and David Hartrick in conversation about Huddersfield Town's 2-0 defeat to Luton Town. Wasn't good, was it, Dave?
1: <laughs> There's a slight understatement. There's a slight <laughs> understatement. We will get into it, but the sort of too-long-didn't-read on this is that, yeah, it was, it was dreadful from the bench to the pitch.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was not the result Huddersfield Town wanted at all. Results elsewhere over the weekend meant that it's it's kind of a, a bit of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card played by Huddersfield massive Town, as you said, Dave. The, the the downside of that, though, is that it's such a massive wasted opportunity. It was a winnable game mm. against a team bottom of the table. And uh, I know that Luton Town have been in decent form, but they still didn't offer anything like enough on the day to, to suggest that they deserve to win that game. Two 0 but Huddersfield Town were, were even worse. It was it was more of a Huddersfield Town minus two, Luton Town nil, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, you look at the 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 very basic match stats, and we've said all season there is a way to beat Huddersfield Town, isn't there? And Town had sixty percent possession, eleven shots to Luton's six, six corners to Luton's two. But they were just so ineffective, and so um, you know, we 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 get accused sometimes of being too defensive of the and of town, and I don't think we are. We're just very analytical, so we look at it f- without the emotion. But there's no denying mean, it was it was a disaster because, like you just said, take the match out of it, just look at the defeat itself. Town would currently be sat on fifty points, and we would be sitting here saying it's not done, but. It's not far off when you consider Wigan's points deduction and potentially Sheffield Wednesday's to come as well. But as it stands, you're looking at it and you're thinking, eh, "Don't know, <laughs> don't yeah. know." I still, you know, hand on heart, I still truly and definitely believe town will get out of it. Um, I, I just, I think they will stumble and fumble over the line. But it was, it was a, it was a, I, I. Frankly, Steve, I thought it was a weird performance more than anything else. It, it just, it came out the blue. There was no real reason for Town to play like this and to play this badly um, because it was a real echo and repeat of the Wigan performance, except Town had a little bit more of the ball and I would argue they were they were maybe slightly better than they were against Wigan, but that really is damning with faint praise <laughs> yeah, that's, no one should take that as an endorsement put it that way
0: Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't even go so far as to say that to be honest, I'm not sure how out of the blue it was in terms of the attacking performance because they didn't actually create very much against Preston or Preston or Reading either um, and against Preston that was obviously a deliberate ploy they would try to keep it tight I, yeah. think, I think it was apparent they were quite happy to take that 0-0 because they knew that if they came out and played against Preston then they were going to get done um, and everyone accepted that as a good point. But I was at the Reading game, and and you know I actually asked Danny Cowley after that game was the idea here to keep it solid and give yourself a platform and, and get another point. And he's and he said no. So I I think. But it, I,
1: I I like not to jump in, but I think if he'd if he'd have turned round to you and said yeah it was, I think he would have got absolutely mm-hmm. battered. on twitter and by fans because they would have said why haven't we gone in to win this game but my gut feeling is that i think there was a little bit of that i i do think that reading game maybe put it this way i do think that was a team that set out not to lose yeah rather than necessarily to win so i think i think they were happy with the point but this this game was a game to set your stall out to win wasn't it
0: yeah, and they'd that even saved players. Uh, you know, they rested mm. a load of players against Reading so that they could have them fit from the start against Luton. So they were putting... It was apparent they were putting everything into this game, and it was a game that they saw as a as a kind of a... Not quite a must-win, but certainly a must-not-lose uh, against Luton. And, and they would have been going for that three points, because when you look at the rest of the fixture list, this was, you know, at home to the team that's bottom of the table. If you're going to get three points anywhere, it's that one. Um, mm. And then but they just came out and they put, they just as you said they they just looked so frightened and afraid on the ball and i did mm. you know i sort of went back and watched the game again on sunday and and sort of tried to to pick it apart and see well what was the difference between what they did against Luton and what they did against bristol city which i, I think was that the bristol game was the highest xg they've had in any game this season so it was their best attacking performance and it was virtually i think it might even have been that the apart from Jon stankovic the and trevor Chalaber, the same lineup um but uh but it was absolute chalk and cheese everyone was so static yeah. in the front line um they had no fluency no one was making extra runs you know against, against bristol if a player had the ball and carried it into the opposition half, one player would come to them to offer a short option and at least two players would, would go running ahead of them. And if that meant someone had to do an overlap, then they'd do it. And as soon as they pass it off, then the player that's just played it is is back around the other side you know making an overlapping run to receive it mm. back again they did that constantly against bristol and you know it's easy to say oh, well that they're you know they're coming off the back of a load of games and that's true but that bristol game was 3 days after they just lost to swansea so it's not like they were in that went into that game on the back of 2 weeks off but against luton there was none of that whatsoever everyone was was so static they s- struggled to break down the the midfield Uh, It's because Luton had... I mean, to be fair, Bristol City played terrible (laughs) in that game. Um, And they had basically no midfield. It was so easy for town to get through them. But Luton just had like two banks of four and you just had sort of three town players just sort of standing around between the two defensive lines and no one looking to get through them. No thrust. It was... No. It was bizarre.
1: I... I, After the first 20 minutes, I... uh what's up to you and I said town will be kicking themselves if they don't win this because there were huge gaps either side in front of the defence mm. and there was a there, there, Luton's deep line midfield and panzer was how can I put it politely not the most mobile of players and he was very selective in his picking up of certain players let's say he was, he was keen to conserve his energy so he could play a full 90 minutes and there was absolutely no like recognition of that. There was no, nobody took it upon themselves to sort of recognise the situation and drop into those spaces or to have a run against Panzer, and try and. It was so, everybody kept looking to Smith Rowe to make something happen, and he's a nineteen-year-old kid, and this is a championship relegation game. So mm. the one thing Luton did try and do is double up on Smith Rowe whenever he got the ball. But nobody else went, right, well, if they're going to double up on him, that naturally means there's a gap somewhere. So let's look for the gap. Let's go and sit in that gap and get the ball. And it was... The the fear thing is such a big thing with this town side. They are, they are mentally scarred by that time in the Premier League and just getting beaten week after week after week after week. And you can see that as a game goes on and they haven't scored and the pressure ramps up, you can just see there are players in that side that just go further and further into their shells and then when they go a goal behind, the the mentality is just, well, we're beaten, we're done. Um, because, like, the first goal was a really bad goal to concede, but there was just no reaction from town. The second goal is mm. an even worse one to concede and again, there's just no reaction. They weren't They weren't even looking to sort of bomb it into the box, you know, just go completely route one and try and get bodies up there and try and get something. It was just so slow and so uninspiring and there are players in this team that are difference makers and there are players that can come off the bench and make a difference here and nobody seemed willing to take any responsibility. Every every single player in that team was looking to someone else to make it happen. And the subs, when they came on, I thought were were basically pretty ineffectual. Um, King, as usual, needs time to get up to the speed of the game and bringing him on with sort of 25 minutes left, he just couldn't, couldn't get into the game. He couldn't force himself on the game. Bakuna came on and was just... It, that that's the frustrating Janini Obakuna again. Yeah. That's the one that me and you have been tearing our hair out about. Pritchard was, he is struggling. He is really struggling. And with Pritchard, I think it's a mental thing. He's He veers between being too scared to take a risk and then trying massively too hard. And he needs to find the level again. And Mounier, who came on for Campbell, just couldn't get into the game. He wasn't. He wasn't even doing his usual thing of of winning headers, knocking them down, and there being no one there. He was. He, he was really struggling to to get going. And Cameron Carter-Vickers for Luton uh, had a good game, and Bradley had a good game, and got his goal. But they're not exceptional defenders. I yeah. mean, you could run them both. They they're not. You know, they're not brilliant readers of the game. They weren't clearing everything away. It's just that. Town just made everything so obvious every single time, didn't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely no wit or guile about them. And, you know, Danny Cowley acknowledged that after the game, he came out and said, you know, we've got we've got no guile and we struggle against teams that, that sit in and, and, and defend. But, I mean, this is a team that there's no way they should be struggling. To I mean, it's a, it's a basic fundamental of the game is that sometimes you're going to come up against teams that are going to defend. And the fact that mm-hmm. they still haven't cracked this, despite having gone out and bought... Um, or brought in on loan, a load of new players, new attacking players. It's it's just strange this this thing that that the fear still afflicts them when this is a team that most of them didn't actually play in the Premier League. Um, no, but I, I think
1: you you get a herd mentality sometimes, don't you? That's the thing mm. you get. Um, There's often squads, you know, like when they talk about winning squads, they talk about that winning mentality, don't they? And and players come into squads that are extremely successful and are sometimes bombed out fairly quickly because they don't pick up on that mentality straight away. Mm. A losing mentality is also a thing. And there, there are players in this side who are still expecting to lose, who are desperate not to lose rather than go out and win. And... There was you know there were there was one or two reasonably bright moments, but like the two goals, I think it's worth talking about the two goals I thought they were both terrible in different ways the the first goal the tackle gets made on Chalabar, and I mean I thought it was a foul, Steve. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't I don't know if, having watched it a couple of times what you think, but it indirectly leads to the corner. But I thought that was a foul. Uh,
0: I I can understand why the ref didn't give it. Actually, the first time I saw it, I thought it was it was a very strong challenge, but it wasn't as when you see the replay, it's not as bad as it looked the first. Time but I, I
1: I did think there were two feet off the ground there, mm. which automatically should mean a foul. And to be fair to Chalabar, it's not like he went down. And rolled round for it. He was quite, you know, legitimately claiming for it. But yeah. then the corner comes in, and I, I've rarely seen a defence as static as that. And it's Bradley gets the header, but he, the, the man who's on him, Schindler, he doesn't even jump.
0: No, I don't think anybody <laughs> jumps. jumps. No,
1: <laughs> nobody jumps at the at a corner, and that, like as as a manager. You know, you there are legitimate things. I think you can look at Danny Cowley and and potentially criticise after this game. And I'm sure we will get on to sort of Danny Cowley's performance in this game. But at the same time, you like there's not an awful lot you can do. It's if everybody in your penalty area doesn't jump at a corner, mm-hmm. that's just bizarre. I mean, I. I was trying to think about this afterwards, Steve. I I watched the the highlights yesterday. I couldn't bring myself to watch the full ninety, and I hope you did it on times two speed because otherwise that's yeah. another hour and a half of I your did. life gone. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of another occasion where I've actually seen that. You know, yeah. where I've actually seen a corner coming and uh, the defensive side nobody has jumped. I, I genuinely don't think I've ever seen that before.
0: No, me either. It was it was the softest. I mean that. We've talked about town being soft upset set pieces before, but at least, you know, they normally get someone trying to challenge for them, but no one was anywhere near it. It was probably in, in Lurzel's territory, in truth, but...
1: Yes, I would agree with that, yeah.
0: I mean, it was right into the six-yard box, but, yeah, I mean, Lurzel had a poor game, it's worth saying as well, but, I mean, we're not singling mm. out individuals because we'd be here all day. I think the only yeah. ones that emerged with any credit, really, were, were Chalaber and Stankovic. But, yeah, I'd agree. But... Yeah, I mean it was it was the softest goal that they've conceded this season easily, and the, yes. the the problem with that is that as we've talked about a million times on this podcast before, Town don't do comebacks <laughs> within oh, games, yeah. and so as soon as Luton score, you're like, right, well that's they've lost this game then, and then you can see that you know obviously they then go and, and score a second um, off a off a Janino Bacuna slip, but they had opportunities to recover from that. <laughs> And, the, and... The,
1: the, the just before you go on though, I I don't know if it came across on TV, Steve, but I don't know what boots Bakuna was wearing. No, he, he slipped several times. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah. Yeah, the first thing he did when he got on the pitch, literally his first pass, he slipped, and he sli- He genuinely slipped a couple more times before that pass on the goal. Mm. So I don't know if what studs he had in, but they were clearly the wrong ones because it was it was bizarre. But that, that break, I mean, it's a long straight ball against Steve, yeah. that, that completely does for Town. And I've, I've said all season, right from Jan's time, first game of the season, first pod, I said it was worrying how one straight ball completely took out Town's defence on mm. a couple of occasions. And again... It's it's a good way to pass, but it is a very very simple straight ball between two defenders, and it completely wipes that defence out, doesn't it?
0: Mm. Yeah, and yeah, far too easy for, for Collins to go through and get onto that. And you know, again, it's it's the muscle thing. He, he sort of muscled through that run, and then there's no one there for the second ball when it comes back out off the post either.
1: <laughs> no, King's King's there, and he has a he has a look to his left and sees Lee. But then doesn't react quick enough. He mm. doesn't go to the ball, does he? That's the problem. Yeah. He he basically waits for the, the ball to arrive at the edge of the area so he can turn away. But Lee's on him. You know, Lee... I mean, we desperately try to steer clear of a lot of the cliches, but the simple fact is Lee just wanted it more, didn't he? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then it's... I mean they were on the coverage I thought it was interesting that they were talking about what a good finish it was. I don't even think it was a great finish. I think it was just a just hammer it goalward. And yeah. so Lossell was was completely static. Mm. Completely static. It was an odd performance from Lossell, I yeah. think, throughout. Um and it again it's just so it's such we've said it a lot this season, but it was such an easily preventable goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's so frustrating that this town side are still really you you can if i was setting up a team to play against this town side i i would simply say give them the ball let them make their own mistakes play on the break Mm -hmm. and just go at them you know just just run at them just play the ball between them um and they will struggle and it it seems so simple (laughs) they've got to be They've got to be more difficult to beat and they've got to be more dangerous in attack. And it's it's at some point we've been saying all season it's got to click, it's got to click. Before lockdown, it felt like the penny had dropped. Yeah, and I, I think it's easy to forget. People remember the Leeds performance, but we did a podcast after the Leeds performance, and even we said it wasn't that bad a performance. They were just up against a side that, whatever you, you know, how I know it's not nice to say it, but they are aspirationally what town want to be. Mm. They that, were doing okay. The lockdown has just killed them. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely killed them stone dead.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, they've had no goals from open play since before lockdown. Um, you know, all, all three against Birmingham came from set pieces and the one against Forest came from a set piece. So, yeah, I mean, it's I, I, it's hard to understand how... They've come out looking so poor when all they talked about in the lead-up to the weekend game was how brilliant things had been on the training pitch and how, how the mood was they really were. good, how fit they were, yeah, yeah. like, you know, the, they getting into our shape, you know, all of these things. And just, we've seen none of that. And, and that Birmingham game, I mean, I think Birmingham's form shows that... <laughs> that they were there to be picked off. And thankfully Town were able to do that because I think, well, if they hadn't had those three points, they'd be really, really in trouble. You know, they'd be in the relegation zone now or close to it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, that, that Birmingham game might have been... That is, we always talk on here about trying to find what's the pattern and what's the anomaly. And you have to say that Birmingham game is the big anomaly because all of the other games have been much of a muchness and they've all been pretty, pretty poor. Again, you could, there's mitigation for that when you talk about, you know, they were missing Campbell and Mounier for the first couple of games and they played for the point against Preston and, you know, that there are sort of, not excuses but, but reasons you can point to why they might not have been at their best but all of those excuses are completely gone now and mm. and they were desperately poor against the team that are bottom of the table and as we say, that the, they kind of were let off the hook by results elsewhere over the, the rest of the weekend because, you know, Charlton lost and Hull lost and Wigan and Barnsley drew with each other Um but uh, did Borough lose as well? So... Uh. Yeah, I believe they did. Yeah. So they've been let off the hook in, in that respect. But at the same time, if they had got those three points, then Luton they would need Luton, Barnsley and Wigan to all win their remaining three games to get back above town. I think 50 points probably will be enough. Because even, if, even from here, if town get one more win, then Wigan have to win all three, Barnsley have to win all three, and Luton will have to get seven points from, from nine. So... Mm it's such a massive massive wasted opportunity and as we talked about that the the reason why fans are panicking and i think validly so is because they've been so poor in these games since the break that it's hard to see where those three points are going to come from and everyone's wondering well are they are they going to go down are they going to get caught by someone Uh, again
1: heart of hearts i think town are going to stay up but Mm the fact that they've not reacted to the pressure is really worrying, really, really worrying because they, they've they got three games coming up and two of them are quite winnable. I think Millwall away is quite winnable. I think Wednesday is quite winnable. Um, West Brom, I can't see it. <laughs> West yeah. Brom are, are, because of Brentford's form... West Brom have got to win every game, so they're gonna come herring out the traps and the, the problem with that West Brom side is I feel like they've also basically got every weapon that hurts town mm. <laughs> that we've seen, which is basically they can they can they're quite happy in possession and they'll pick you off that way or they will give town the possession and they are absolutely lethal on the break um so I just i I can't see a town win in that game unless town can pull one of those performances out of the bag where, you know, they exceed, they play beyond themselves. But it is it is it is a real worry, that performance. Um, there are a lot of statistical indicators that show that Town have never been quite as bad as they've looked at times, but th- that's the first time that we've sat there and said, well, really, that's fairly indefensible. Because yeah. even the Wigan performance, I was... I, you know i was there i've i've been at the home games without a crowd they they were rabbits caught in the headlights cuz they just didn't understand how different it was going to be and how weird it was going to feel and i think if it had been a away game it might have been completely different but this one they they've they've had a taste of that they've done that so they should have yeah. you know they should have been they should have known uh what the circumstances were they should have been more comfortable and it just it just didn't happen and I I'm at a loss really as to sort of explain why they've come out of lockdown like this. And again I just keep coming back to the same thing which is I think there's a mentality issue in the squad. I, I think there's a fear um that is very, very difficult to shift. And da- you know, Danny Cowley is a football manager, not a uh therapist mm. <laughs> and while he's having to sort of be all things to all men in this squad as well as picking the side and trying to work out tactically how to beat teams it's it's a real struggle and it does make you it does make you start to worry about the summer because even as someone who is fairly adamant that they they will stay up i think i still think it would be a pretty extraordinary swing for town to go down at this point Even as somebody who has always been fairly confident of that, I am really starting to worry about next season unless there's a major mentality shift in this squad.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the sort of positive, if you want to look at it as a positive, which I don't think it really is, is that they are going to have to massively rebuild that squad anyway because they've they've got five players on loan and they had obviously Camille Grabara as well earlier in the season who was a sixth they've got players who are out of contract some of whom are going to leave uh, obviously Stankovic has already confirmed to be leaving and they've got one or two others as well who you would expect that they would, would probably uh, look to sell in, in the summer Carlin Grant being the obvious name there so you know that's mm. that's a lot of the team I think I worked out that, that I think it was something like seven of the eleven that, that started against Reading were probably not going to be with the club next season
1: well if you, if you look at this lineup against Luton, Lossell is going back to Everton and he's too expensive to yeah. retain realistically on a loan. Chalabar, we don't know. I, I would hope Town might go for another season from Chalabar yeah, because I, I don't think he's been anything like as bad as some would have you believe. And I think at right back, he's been a bit of a revelation. I think he's been <laughs> pretty good. Um, but technically, not Town's player. We don't know what's happening. Stankovic is going. Schindler. I I don't think he will go, but I also don't think he's the player he was. And the thought of Christopher Schindler playing 46 championship games next season worries me. Toffolo, we know, is staying. Hogg, I feel the same about Schindler as I do about Hogg, really, which is that as good as he is and as worthwhile as he is keeping in the squad, realistically, he can't play 46 games next season. and He can't necessarily be first choice. O'Brien, who knows, they may get an offer money-wise, they can't turn round. Willock, we don't know if they'll go for another season. Smithrow will be playing in the Premier League. Grant's probably going to be off. Campbell will be there but three goals in 30 appearances and seven yellow cards. Is he really the mm. the answer striker-wise? And then you had King come on, we don't know, he's out of contract. Has he done enough to get a town contract? Probably not so far. Bakuna we don't know but He's a player I'm really worried about, to be honest, what happens next with him. And Pritchard, who I think will still be at the club, but more because I, I just can't see anyone buying him on mm. his last two years. Um, you know, And if they did buy Alex Pritchard on his last two years, they're taking a massive risk. So yeah, there has to be huge surgery, but <laughs> it's also post-corona, so yeah. we don't know how this transfer market's going to shake out over the summer. It's certainly going to be very difficult on lots of levels. Everybody keeps telling me, "Well, there's loads of free agents out there, so it'll be good because we can go up and pick up the best of them." Every single championship club will have that strategy, yeah. and they you know the best of that is it something like 1,200 players are being released. Mm the best of that 1,200 is in reality going to be about 30 or 40 players and there's going to probably be for each of those players a minimum of four clubs in. Yep. So, it, it, I don't know, it's a really difficult summer and it it's... The Championship is not a 5-a-side league. It's an 11-a-side league. Town have to have a squad and they may have to look at some of these contracts that we just assumed were not going to be renewed yeah. because the simple fact is they need bodies. Yeah, <laughs> They need players. And, yeah, it's it. if Town can't save themselves this season, so if they can't go and get that win, but they are saved by virtue of a points deduction for Wigan and potentially Wednesday... Or other teams just not being able to put the run together. It it's it's not great to go into next season. <laughs> no that's <laughs> that's it. your momentum.
0: I, I think if they had beaten Luton and we were sitting here saying, Well, they're all but safe now, then Well ev- they would
1: have had eight points from four games yeah. and they would have they would have done it themselves. They yeah, would be exactly. where they need to be.
0: And the fans would be like, Yeah, fine. Like, if we've not had a great season, put it behind us. You know, it is what it is. We've got the Cowleys; they've got us out of trouble. We'll uh, we'll go into next season. We'll we'll rebuild. But I think just even if they even if they now go and beat Sheffield Wednesday quite convincingly, I still think that Rot has kind of set into people's minds now that yeah. a- actually this isn't a good team. We're not in a good place. We're not going to be in a good place for next season. So, and and I think that's really important. And I think that's going to hurt them ultimately because you know we've talked about the the lack of confidence and you know the players will be feeling this as well you know that they'll they'll be aware of what the the timbre of the coverage has been from us and from other podcasts and from you know people on social media they'll have seen that stuff so yeah it's it, it it's the worst thing that really could have happened um, yeah. at this stage of the season given where they were
1: they the, the squad we, we've always known all season two things about this squad one is that if if you look at games since the Cowlis came in i think town are now in i think it's 15th or 16th i keep an eye on it i did forget to check after the Luton game but that that's a pretty good result from where the Cowlis started but it's also realistically where this squad should be we've always talked about them being potentially lower mid table but if they could get a run together they could be upper mid table and sort of brushing the bottom of the playoffs it's not it's not a horrific squad it's a squad that's got a mentality problem the issue now is that it's how many of these players do you have to keep as opposed to how many players you want to keep and that becomes a bit of an equation um and it, it's it depends who who knows they could go and get seven points from this last three games and genuinely hand on heart steve that wouldn't surprise me because i'm beyond being surprised by this town team because when you think they're going to be good they're bad and when you think they're going to be bad they pull a they pull a a, a bristol or charlton performance out of nowhere so who knows but There's serious work to do in the summer, and the summer isn't the summer. (laughs) The summer could, you know, they still haven't decided on when it's all going to start again, and it could, you know, from information I've had, it could be nine weeks, it could be as little as seven weeks. Mm. Who knows? But it's the transfer market that's the thing. It's the transfer market that's the real worry. Because town town don't need transfer fees this summer so much as they need to balance that wage bill i would say steve yeah,
0: absolutely yeah 100 that's that's the whole game and we know that it's also worth mentioning we've run through the team there there are a few players that that they haven't been able to play who i think will they'll be looking to get into the first team next season now that they'll be looking to to push through so i'm, I'm talking about ramani edmunds green and and josh karoma um, players like that, perhaps even likes of you know Scott High and and uh, and Kean Harrit could could play a part. Matt, yeah, Matty Daly Daly, Daly. as yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. and yeah, and Luke Daly probably another year or two down the line. And I think everyone's going to have to use lean on their academies to a certain extent. Jaden Brown as well as, as obviously is backup for for Toffolo and Demico dehaney on the other side. So they've, they've got some players there who look promising, but it, that that would leave you with an exceptionally young team. Uh, mm. and, uh... but I
1: think uh, that, that, uh, there, is a, there is a flip side to that Steve which is I think if if you like we, we say it all the time we're invested neutrals if you were a die hard town fan and you saw a team lose I don't know 2-0 to Leeds United like they did before the lockdown but mm. it was an extremely young team who were all learning trying their very very best but just got found out by a better side. Let's not say Leeds United, because I know it winds people up. Let's say West Brom. There's a massive level of forgiveness there, isn't there? That's the thing. As as fans, you go, well, do you know what? That's all right, because it's a project. I'm happy we're getting young players through. They're trying their hearts out. It's it's when there's the perception that there's players who should be an awful lot better than they actually are mm. right now that is is the issue. And I think... From a fan's point of view, I can un- I can understand the frustrations with someone like Alex Pritchard, you know, who who is 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 really struggling, and no footballer wants to struggle. No, you know, if footballers could press a switch and everything was okay and they were back in form, then they would they would all do it all the time, wouldn't they? Yeah. But he is, he's got there is clearly a bit of a mentality issue there because um, he's. He still got the talent. I mean, I jokingly I sent you that text the other day when I was watching them warm up, and Pritchard was just top corner in it on the shooting jewels every single time. Mm. You know, all the talent in the world, but then the whistle goes, and it's it's a completely different story. So I don't know how how would you structure the summer, Steve? How would you look at it now?
0: I mean, it's it's much as you say, and it, I think it's. The first thing is is who's gonna go. That they, they'll have a list of who they think they're gonna go for and who they think is a viable target. And I I don't doubt that they're already talking to some of those players with a even yeah. if it's even if it's tentative, just like you know, we just want to throw a hat in the ring. We we don't know what our you know what division we're gonna be in, but if we stay up, we'd love to have you on board. You know, quick phone call type stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard to say. I would say that they're they're probably. That they're looking good at, at left-back, um, which is not something we would have said this time last <laughs> year. But they desperately need a goalkeeper. And, and Danny Cowley has kind of hinted that when he's putting his team together, he always looks at his one and his nine first. So I think yeah. that's him dropping a hint that, that the first priority in the transfer window uh, is going to be, well, obviously a goalkeeper because they don't have one, potentially. Um, yeah. Ryan Schofield is another player who... Is uh, coming through, who's very highly thought of. So possibly they'll they'll look to get Ryan Schofield in. Joel Coleman's out of contract, and and no disrespect, but I don't think he's a starter even if he stays. So and then you you've got the centre forward as well, and I think probably two centre forwards is is not enough at this level, as they have found with the injury crisis. And I think yeah. and I think particularly with the the two that they have, that they've got a, a decision to make about. As you say, I'm not sure Fraser Campbell is the man who should be starting every game next season. I I like the idea of Campbell as being someone that you bring on in the last half an hour when you're winning and you want to see out a game, you know, chase Mm. down every ball. But um, if they're going to go with Mounier, and I think people wouldn't object if they went with Steve Mounier, then they need to build a team that that plays to his strengths. They need to have a team that gets balls in the box. You know, they need proper out-and-out wingers rather than in, inverted wingers as, the, as they're playing at the moment um, and they need to have a, a physically robust side that will actually go and bully other teams rather than teams that are going to come and bully them so that's that's one approach but as Cowley says it all depends how you how you approach the game it all depends on who your center forward is so it just depends whether they build around Mounier whether they build around Campbell or whether they go and get someone else all together and I think yeah I think it's going to be difficult to to say where we are until we know what who's playing in those positions.
1: I think that one of the, the sort of slight difficulties there straight away that I see is that I think it's relatively easy to get a goalkeeper. Yeah. Because I've spoke about this before. At any one time, there is about two thirds of the goalkeeping staff available not playing in the Premier League. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, it, well, not just in the Premier League, in the Championship, in you know even right. in League One, in the SPL. So it, I think it's relatively easy to go and find a keeper. I think Town could do with a little bit of experience. I don't think they necessarily need somebody who's played a million games and is you know completely proven, but they need somebody who has played two hundred games of professional football in goal for a football club, mm. in my humble view. And they've got Ben Hamer coming back to the club. He, I don't think he's the answer because I think he is another one whose confidence is just completely shot in a town shirt. It just weighs much too heavily. I think a goalkeeper's fairly solvable. It's not as easy to go out and potentially get two strikers mm-hmm. because there is always a premium on good strikers who get goals and town's position this summer unfortunately is probably gonna be third or fourth in line for, you know, the really good players, the yeah. good strikers so that that is an issue, I, I think Campbell and Mounier are both worth keeping because I think they do separate jumps, I think you're exactly right in what you said about Campbell that when you've got a game you want to shut out, he is the man who will chase down every ball he will go and block the fullbacks easy ball out, he is, he is great at that but if he starts a tight game that you need a little bit of invention and a little bit of intelligence to to overcome a, a compact defence. He's not he's not the man to do it. Um Mounier should be a far more physical threat than he is. And me and you have both been a little bit sort of wound up in the past that he's not more of a more of a threat than he is sometimes. But he can score goals at this level. He proved that in yeah. that run. But they need they need a young, hungry goal scorer you know, somebody who can take on two defenders on his own. Somebody who is is, is very capable of running at players, etc. And I, th- that's not easy to find. That's not, you know, there's not tons of them just kicking about all out of contract, desperate to play for Huddersfield Town. And that's where the issue comes in a little bit, I think. So when you've got sort of quite a, a problem position before you look at anywhere else... <laughs> That's That shows you the sort of scale of what's going to happen in the summer. I think you're right. I think left back sorted. I would go for Chalabar as a right-back, knowing he can cover in other positions as well. I mm. think it would be great to have another season out of him. I think with Romari Edmonds, Green and Elthick coming back, I don't think you necessarily have to go and get another central defender. But I also think defensive midfielder is an issue. And... I haven't seen enough of Scott High. I know a little bit about him, and I know he's very, very highly thought of, but I don't necessarily know enough about him to say he's going to be the answer, if I'm honest. No. So there's another quite key position, and it it just feels like there is a lot of these issues for town to to solve. Yeah. One of the things I did want to ask you about at this point, because I know it's something that a lot of people have talked about, is number 10 and... Willock, mm. would you have Willock back and how do you solve the number 10 issue?
0: I think we've seen enough from from Willock in some games to suggest that there's a bit of talent there, but then we've also seen him disappear in in other games and you know doing that classic championship winger thing where he'll do all the running and all the hard work and then doesn't have a final ball, which is why their championship wingers are not Premier League wingers I suppose. Um <sighs> I, I think with Willick it totally depends what, what the financials are because I think they could probably get another wing I don't know I, I have no idea what his wages are I have no idea what Benfica would expect in terms of a fee if anything or whether they're desperate to move him on so I think it depends on the financials with that and I, I wouldn't automatically have him just because they've had him in the past they've you know they've had him this season put it that way uh, if he's if they look at it and he's the best option regardless of having played for disfield town or not then then great but yeah I, I i'm not completely 100% sold on him number 10 as you say emil smith Rowan. i i would be he's he's not coming back he's he's too good for to be played for town yeah. and, I, and I Well think,
1: Arsenal all of everyone else Arsenal have tried as a number 10 since the season started have only created one big chance and yeah. Smith Rowe has created four on loan with town so yeah. the, there's no way he is not going to get a run at some point as a 10 for Arsenal yeah
0: and even if he's not at Arsenal you'd imagine that he would you know go on loan to a, yeah, a, a Burn- Premier League a Burnley club. or someone like that yeah um so I mean, Alex Pritchard. I think it's fair to say has never done it in a town shirt. And there's again some mitigation because he's had the, that injury problem over the last sort of twelve months. That means he's he's barely played over over the last last year or so. But I mean, you and I have both seen him play for his for his previous clubs and thought he looked mm. like a proper top of the championship level player. And yeah. he's come to a Seal town and he's not shown that at all, really. And it's it's whether they can get that player out of him or or whether they're confident they can get that player back out of him, and I think as you say, they might be in a position where they have to try with him because they are unlikely to be able to to shift him on and <laughs> yeah, and I think there's going to be one or two players like that who that they find it difficult to move them on, and so they're going to but be don't... you know so you have to do your best with them,
1: I think with Pritchard. There is always the chance that if you give him five games where he starts the games and he finishes the last two of them as a minimum, fitness wise, uh, and he may be able to find some form and get back into some rhythm. But what he's got to stop doing is keep dropping back into fullback positions Mm. and, you know, areas like that where when town win the ball, they've then got a striker up against. Four defenders and sometimes four defenders and a defensive midfielder, you know, and no one within twenty yards of the striker they're aiming for. That's that's the big issue there, and they need to get some backup for for Pritchard as well. Yeah. You know, they need to go and find another Emile Smith Rowe. I'd suggest probably another loan signing at first, um, and somebody who can come in and, and do that role. I think it's it's also worth. Just revealing a little bit of what was said when we weren't on air, but you can mount a little bit of a defence for Carlin Grant's performance against Luton. A little and bit, and I think you yeah. can mount a little bit of a defence for him overall compared to some because I know, I mean, he is coming for some fairly brutal uh, Twitter abuse, certainly. Yeah,
0: I mean, by no means do I think Carlin Grant has been good in the second half of this season. Um, I would say I think he was unplayable at times throughout a large part of the first half of the season and and you know town probably wouldn't have got into a place whether even considering staying in this division without Carlisle grant in the first half of the season as I say i think he's been poor in the second half of the season but when i watched the luton game again uh, on sunday he was the only player who or one of the only players, him and Smith-Rowe were the only players that were looking to receive the ball in between the lines and make things happen. And he was constantly getting on the ball and, and making runs. And But when you're one player who's making a run and no one else around you is moving, it's so easy to pick you up that you're not even an option, which is how he ends up in the position where he's, he's getting on the ball and then running into a group of three defenders because he's got no other choice. There's nothing else he can do in that situation. So... The effort was there from Grant, and I, I think to say that he's, you know, he's waiting for his move and he doesn't want to be here. I mean, maybe those things are true, but I'm not sure that was the reason that he struggled against Luton Town. And don't get me wrong; I don't think he had a good game, but he was—it uh, was visible the effort that he was making when you watch the game a second time, and you're looking for well, what options has he got here, and what options does his do his teammates have? The number of times that that I saw players. Coming into the 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 Luton half with the ball, and then looking up, and then doing that sort of half shrug thing where you, you turn your palms out as if to say, "Well, who am I passing to here?" Yeah, like I I'm I saw Stankovic do it. I saw Schindler do it. I saw Toffolo do it, I saw O'Brien do it. And Emil Smithrow had a proper little strop at one point just before the break because he he had the ball on the halfway line and as you say they were doubling up on him and he, he tried to he, he basically there was no support for him and he had to try and take on three players on his own and he ended up losing the ball and then <laughs> turning around to his his teammates screaming into the air just like what are you doing? So yeah, yeah I think Smith-Rowe and Grant were, were trying to, to make stuff happen but when you've got when no one's making those over- overlapping runs and you know no one is, but that's the fear out. that yeah that's exactly. the
1: fear thing again, isn't it? Because to make those overlapping runs um, or to take a man on or to drop into that space and leave someone free, that's that's a risk and it's mm-hmm. the risk taking which Huddersfield Town are really really struggling with. They just all of those players just want to play percentage football. And percentage football doesn't... The problem is with percentage football, it's as soon as you go a goal behind, you're struggling. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the best teams, even the good teams, are the risk-takers. They're the... You look at this is where the the people sort of look at stats and they look at them wrongly because they look at a lot of top players' stats and they see how many times they lose the ball, how many times passes go wayward, and they use it to say, "You know is this really good and then you think, "Well, no, because." they are taking the risk they're yeah. trying to make something happen they're trying to create space by taking a man on you are taking a man out of the game so you are constantly trying to provide space or a gap for someone else and I, that is what you know that is town's problem in a nutshell at the moment and i don't think that's i don't think you can just solve that overnight is the problem i i it is it is something that is spread across the squad
0: yeah i, I think against bristol there their pass completion rate was something like 72% and but against Luton it was like 80 something so yeah. it's you know again it just shows that I worked out very roughly and that this wasn't scientific because there are factors I didn't I couldn't find out like how much the ball was in play but I worked out that roughly speaking they were moving the ball about five percent faster against Bristol than they were against Luton and that's because mm. there were always options available for them to make passes whereas against Luton there was nothing on I mean there's a picture in this tactical piece I put together it's, it's titled why Huddersfield Town's attacking players dropped off a cliff and it looks like a, a rugby league team they're all just running in one parallel line there's no there's yeah. no one ahead of the ball there's no one busting a gut to try and get ahead of the ball everyone's sort of trying to stay roughly parallel and, and roughly you know in line with the ball, so that then they don't have to take responsibility. They're not the person that's going to get through on goal and yeah. have to take on a shot. And it's-
1: and this, like I know we're going to annoy people when we say this, Steve, but this is where you mount a slight defence of of the cowleys because there is no way that is how they are setting the team up. No. There is no way that is how they are running drills to to pass sideways or to have a you know a football team that spend its time grabbing basically that's where I guess they must be incredibly frustrated um, because they do it's the reason he's sort of some guard Danny in his interviews is quite guarded about some things and very unguarded about others and when he talks about having the minerals and having the bravery it's not about flying into tackles or standing up to you know a bully boy striker it is about those things to an extent, but what he really means is you've you've gotta have the, the balls to get something wrong. Yeah. You know, because if it comes off one time in three, that's the moment when I dunno, a Willock is actually got some space to pick across for the striker yeah. or Pritchard finds himself in fifteen yards of space outside the box and can either pick a pass or take the shot on and that's that's the thing that's just so sadly lacking from Town's game at the minute
0: yeah exactly and i i think it's it's i mean even you look at someone like Lewis o'brien and not to question his fortitude because he's been you know the the sort of icon of bravery in this town side in, in every respect all season but you know even he was not making the runs forward that he normally does from his position you know his his role is a, is a box to box Midfielder. He's he's not a holding midfielder. I know that there's a no. bit of a misconception in a 4-2-3-1 that the midfield two are holding midfielders. They're not. One of them will be, and the other one she box. He's box. not a six. No, he's an yeah. eight. Yeah, and. Yeah. But even O'Brien was, and to be fair, I think probably part of that is that he was knackered because he made he made so, he made he made so many of those runs early on in the game, and then there was no one there to support him. That probably late on in the game, he just what he just didn't have it in the tank to, and that's saying something no. when you're talking about Lewis O'Brien, who's got absolutely yeah, boundless but energy.
1: It, it, but it's also the the, uh, the games are just coming so thick yeah, and fast exactly. at the moment; players aren't getting their usual recovery time. So I I, I do semi understand that, yeah. but. There are. I, I do think. I do think Danny Cowley made mistakes for this game. Yeah. I do. I do think this was a game to even with your substitutes, just try and take the shackles off a bit. But I saw a lot of like, why didn't he go two up top? And part of the problem with that is, is like Campbell and Mounier just don't work as a two mm. in any way. There's there's no way in which they sort of dovetail with each other. But if you did go to at the top, I was trying to think about this. Would you potentially put O'Brien up there as somebody just with a lot of energy, quite waspish? He's proved he can finish. He needs to add more goals to his game. But other than that, there's not there's not many options, is yeah. there, to go to up top? You could
0: go Grant and Mounier up top, which they did in the injury crisis in December. I think they did that against Charlton at the Valley, I seem to recall. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's and Cowley has said that Grant can play up top with with a strike partner but yeah I mean but then who's who's then supplying that to because you're then then taking Carl and Grant off the wing so then you've probably got I mean Willock had a didn't have a great game so you've taken him off so then who are your wingers then Um, Pritchard maybe one you could go maybe Pritchard and Bakuna or O'Brien and Bakuna or O'Brien and Pritchard but yeah, I, I think, as you say, that there are criticisms that, that we can level at the Cowleys, but I think, we've talked about this before, there's a difference between not having a plan and that plan not being executed properly. And yeah. and I think we've seen that this is a plan that has worked before and can work incredibly well when the players do what they're meant to do. And they didn't do mm. what they're meant to do um, in this game at all.
1: no. no. And that, I think... The, like you can't defend the substitutions because it wasn't a game to go like for like mm-hmm. in my humble opinion they they needed to change something and I think I mean to be honest I probably would have bought Bakuna on at half time at 0-0 yeah. because there's a world of difference we were saying the uh, mentality board. wise between a player coming on at 0-0 and a player coming on at 1-0 down particularly for Huddersfield Town at the moment yeah so, bringing him on as a reaction to going a goal down, I, I don't think was great. I think he should have been quicker there. Um, he, he is, I, he is I,
0: slow with his substitutions. He always says he likes to leave. Yeah. He likes to leave five minutes after the break and five minutes after each goal just to see how things. He trusts down. his
1: plan, yeah. doesn't he? That's yeah. the thing. He trusts his plan. So, the idea that he hasn't got a plan is, is slightly ludicrous. But I think the issue is that that was a game where I think on reflection, he would look back and say he, he needed to change it. And I mean, potentially even at halftime, yeah. I mean, I would have even looked at going to a four, three, three and just trying to give Luton something very different to think about. Mm. Um, because town's, it's easy to forget town started on the front foot and that first sort of 10, 15 minutes, they looked good and they looked like they were going to find space and find, uh, find holes. But that Luton defence just grew more and more comfortable as that first half yeah. wore on. And by the end of the first half, they were coming off, you know, knowing exactly what to expect for the second 45. And I think that was a time where they needed to change something. They needed to, to change the equation so that the answer was different. So I think you can criticise that. But yeah, they, it it was a real... It was a real player's performance, that, for me. When you have that many people playing that badly, mm-hmm. that's a real issue. Yeah. And it it's not... The thing is, I, we say it all the time, Steve, but it's not like these issues aren't solvable. Mm. Town, town are, are better than this. They should be better than this. They can play better than this. But they've got to find a way to do it. They've got to find the motivation and the sort of self, the confidence and the... the you know the, the propulsion within themselves to do it.
0: Yeah, and and we're not trying to like get the counties off the hook by saying, well, it was. You know, if the, the the players didn't didn't follow the plan, because it's part of their job is to make sure that the players do follow the plan, that they're confident, mm. that they feel ready, that they're mentally prepared for the game. But what we're saying is that can only go so far. And he can't, yeah. once the game has started, he can't exactly go on and and tell them, you know, oh, remember no. to be good at football today, lads. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: I think I think if there was, as I said, you know, you can criticize the substitutions, and I think tactically they they got it wrong. But I think the other side is they they've already learned that in a stadium with no fans you can't stand on the touchline and just relentlessly have a go at your players either, if they're not doing what you want, mm-hmm. there was a couple of times where they got really frustrated with a couple of players, but rather than vent their frustration in at the player, they would just vent their frustration in a far more general style, because they learnt at that Wigan game, if you have a go at people specifically everyone can hear it Mm. (laughs) including that including the entire Wigan side so they know someone is struggling and they can exploit that so Mm. it's it's a difficult position but they've got to they've got to find a way to to change it against Wednesday where they're just quite simply they're just asking different questions because at the moment it's very easy to answer them all
0: yeah I mean, there was we were talking a lot about the fear factor and players not following the instructions, and someone messaged me saying, you know, I, I would have gone further after I wrote this tactical piece, saying, you know, I would have gone further and and with the fear thing and, and called them out for being cowards. But I just I don't think that's helpful because it's not like it's not like any footballer wants to go into a game feeling afraid. Um, no, and if they could help that at all then there's no way they would be doing it and they was you know this person was saying oh that you know it's it's worse than pulling out of a challenge you're letting your teammates down but i think there is a difference between not trying and and being afraid to try and you know i know that we're talking about elite level athletes here um who who should be capable of 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 getting themselves up for these games and pushing through those those difficulties because that's you know, part of the job, and I accept that. But I don't think anything is gained by laying into them for, you know, for no. being afraid at all. It's it's only going to make it worse. So, and as,
1: um, to be fair, the other side to that, Stevens, as well. There will be several of them that aren't even aware of it. Yeah, it's a it's a subconscious thing. It's a multi-layered thing. So, just sort of going into them and saying they're cowards it, when they they don't feel that way psychologically is going to affect them even further and this is this is this is the problem with Danny Cowley is that he's got to concentrate on being a football manager Mm. he's got to concentrate on picking a team and getting a team that tactically can win a game Um, and he's got to coach them accordingly but when you have like a sort of quite a widespread mental issue and a few other issues it's it's difficult you can't be all things to all men and it uh, there's no easy answer I mean I think I think town should be looking if they if they're not big on it anyway but they should certainly be looking at sports psychology and wondering if that's going to help you know significantly over the summer Mm -hmm. and just lift their lift the overall overriding feeling around the squad yeah. maybe I
0: believe they do use a, a sports psychologist but yeah it's uh it's certainly an issue I mean you and I I think are both of a mind that that the Cowleys are still the right men for the job even if they were to go down now yeah because as we talked about before I'm not sure there's anyone else in the EFL that has a better CV than the Cowleys you know he, even if you take this year into account if you were a club that wasn't Huddersfield Town that had gone down and you were looking at CVs the the best CV on the pile is the Cowley CV and you know they've been eight months into the job um at this point or 10 months I think yeah 10 months into the job at this point it's no time at all when you consider that when they've had one transfer window and most of what they were able to do in that transfer window was was loan signings um, yeah, you know they've not. And all,
1: but also, it's worth saying, it made a significant difference. They yeah. were, they were a team on the up. It, it's it, it's genuinely lockdown that has killed this side, mm. and I, I think it's that thing of having too much time to think and too much time to 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 think about your failings rather than think about the things you're doing well. Mm. Um, and you're you're exactly right. I mean, if Town sack the cowlist tomorrow. Who do they bring in? They, yeah. they wouldn't they'd struggle to afford a Neil Warnock type. Um, bear in
0: mind they'd be paying significant compensation to the cows. Yeah.
1: So they'd struggle to afford to bring in that sort of type of established championship troubleshooter type. So they're not gonna go and get Sam Allardyce out of semi retirement or anything like that. The 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 best available hot young thing is Danny Cowley. Yeah. <laughs> And there's there's just not a sort of plethora of managers sat around doing nothing right at this moment, who would be able to take them forward. It like I I know it sounds trite, but if you if you gave me the option of getting rid of I don't know not getting rid of but maybe keeping being able to really cherry pick through that squad and only keep the forty percent I want and having sixty percent new players, or you get rid of the Cowleys. I know which I'd be doing and the imbalance in that squad is not going to be, I mean, spoilers to Huddersfield Town fans, but it's not going to be sorted in the summer either. It's going to take another probably two transfer windows Mm. after this summer to get a squad back in proper balance and where there's not an obvious hole somewhere. So you just, I mean, you're exactly right. I think we have criticised the Cowleys, and I think you can criticise the Cowleys after that game. But I don't. I, I think it's ludicrous to suggest that if you got rid of them, then suddenly all the problems go away. You might get a bump from a new manager coming in, but in 10 games' time, all the same problems are going to be yeah. there.
0: And you're getting rid of all the work they've done over the last 10 months as well, in terms of planning and you know and and all of this kind of stuff so I know that the club have things in place and it's not all down to the Cowleys I know that they you know they have Josh Marsh who's the head of recruitment they they do have uh, you know Lee Bromby's the head of football operations so they do have things in place to ensure that continuity from one manager to the next so it's not it's not like they've torn everything up but it's you know again there have been enough changes at that club of last year without them making you know, another yeah. one. And to be honest, I, I I feel like it's not on the cards as it stands, but I think it just feels like the worm has turned a little bit from 10 days ago when there was that nonsense rumour about the fact that, you know, are oh, they, could have still considering sacking them, which we know was absolute nonsense. And the fans all, you know, you know uh, almost to a, to a person came out and defended them and said, this would be a ridiculous decision. I feel like it's, there's maybe now 20, 30% of fans would, would say, get rid of them. Um, or it feels that way looking at social media, um, which I know is no, yeah. no particular great gauge of anything. But I, I also think that part of the part of the issue with the Cowleys and the issue that people have with the criticism they have with them is is things he says in press conferences getting misinterpreted after games, which I know happens to pretty much every manager, but it happened again on on friday night and i th- i thought that was that was very unfair actually to to say that he was patronizing the fans or, or anything like that you know i think you you might have listened to the press conference day from the stands and mm. you know that was not a man who was not fronting up or trying to make excuses he listed pretty much all the criticisms that we've just laid out over the last hour uh himself <laughs> um and and you know took responsibility for it so yeah it's uh yeah it,
1: I, he he was he was absolutely gutted after that game he mm-hmm. in a way he wasn't after wigan he, he there was a man who'd put a lot of work into this game like you say resting players and thinking about various other things and it just being completely let down by his players there mm. in my humble opinion I don't think that's all on the players. As I said, I think there is a mentality issue there, but to sort of suggest that, I don't know. I mean, I hate using it, but it, the word was knocking round that there. I saw somebody call them P teacher frauds and what have you. I think you only need to have a look at what they've done previously. Mm-hmm. This isn't another young situation where let's be honest, it was a bit of a flyer. It yeah. was a, Uh, you know uh, somebody who's done very good work before but not in this position can that be is that a transferable set of skills um but this this uh, this idea that if you like they get a lot of unfair criticism like you know i don't know what their style of play is which i don't get at all you can see what their style of play is and what they want to do but they haven't got the personnel, they want to be able to do it. I just, I keep coming back to the same thing, which is without wishing to repeat ourselves, but it's exactly what you said, Steve, in that there's no one better out there. There's there's, mm. And town realistically would be looking at Mark Hudson in the short term um, to try and make a difference. And, Mark Hudson, I think, is very well thought of in the club, etc. But he his only option at the moment would be to carry on with the work that the Cowleys are doing. Mm. It's not like he could just suddenly go right. We're now going to play four four two. Yeah, <laughs> and the squad is fine, and I don't need anyone. And there's no obvious issues in terms of creativity, <laughs> so we'll just crack on. It's it's a difficult situation, and I I think the Cowleys are. I think you have to back them for the for the longer term, even if there is some more short-term pain.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Right, we should probably get off this podcast because we've gone on for well over an hour. I think this is the longest podcast we've ever done, Dave. Um, but yeah, thank you for joining me today. You are on Twitter, at David Hartrick, aren't you? Very occasionally. Exciting. And since we've had you for such a long time, do you have anything to promote in terms of Ockley books? Uh,
1: just buy
0: them. Yeah. Where where can we buy your fantastic football books?
1: Uh, Oakleybooks.co.uk. There are lots of books on there. The book I would recommend everyone buys early doors in preparation for next season is Fantasy Premier League, Unlocking the Secrets to a Top 1% Finish, which is... I I am living testament to the fact that it has helped me over the course of this season. The two lads have written it told me a lot of things that I just... I didn't even understand, and I, it's no coincidence I've had by far my best season on Fantasy Premier League. How's your season gone, Steve?
0: So thank you for joining <laughs> us, and uh, we'll see you next time on Beer. Goodbye. U-2-B-A, U-2-B-A,